0: Welcome to With the First Link, the podcast that hopes to make our future as bright and as just as the one that we see in Star Trek The Next Generation. And we think that one way to do that is to recap and discuss the entire series one episode at a time, doing our best to look at it all through an anti-oppression, anti-racist lens. I'm Ruthie cowper
1: And I'm Matthew Simone, and today we'll be talking about Where No One Has Gone Before. This episode was written by Diane Duane and Michael Reeves, and directed by Rob Bowman. It first aired on October 24th, 1987.
0: In this episode, imagination and reality kind of meld in a way that looks to most of the characters like magic. So for our check-in topic this week, let's talk a little bit about magic.
1: Do you believe in magic?
0: Do I believe in magic? So I... I have a sort of long answer to that. I don't have a short answer to it. I believe that that a lot of the time things feel like magic. So things that are really creative, like, I mean, in the episode, the traveler talks about Mozart. And I think that like music is somewhere where I experience a lot of like magical feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think when I think of social change and social movements, sometimes that feels like magic to me and i i don't say that to minimize the work that goes into social movements i think sometimes it can sort of feel like like saying that it's magic can minimize the very human work that goes into it i wanted to actually uh quote a podcast that i listened to a couple of years ago um in talking about something on this topic, this is sort of where my mind went when I was thinking about magic and whether I believe in it. So this is from the podcast LeVar Burton Reads, which is an amazing podcast. I've never heard of him. <laughs> yeah, who, who is this LeVar Burton character? Who is that guy? Um, no, he is, of course, uh, Jordi LaForge. And he also had his show Reading Rainbow. And reading is a really important cause for LeVar Burton. In his podcast, LeVar Burton Reads, he reads short fiction, and often it is science fiction. So a couple of years ago, in June of, I think, twenty would have been 2018, he read a story called The Flyers of Guy by Ursula Le Guin. Um, and then after that, he interviewed someone named Walida Marisha, who edited the uh, short story collection called Octavia's Brood. And Octavia's Brood is a collection of science fiction short stories that are all... Uh, written about social change, but but using a kind of science fiction lens for that.
1: Which is what science fiction, I
0: think, is at its strongest. Yeah, yeah, totally. And so one of the things she says that like when she and and her uh, co-editor, Adrienne Marie Brown, were uh, thinking of this collection, they, the premise, she says, the basic premise of Octavia's Brood is that all organizing is science fiction. Because every time we imagine a world without borders, a world without prisons, a world without oppression, that's science fiction. Because we've never seen that world.
1: Wow, it gave me chills. Isn't that's, that great? Really that powerful, has stuck yeah. with me
0: for the last two years. And then she goes yeah. on that we can't build what we can't imagine. So we absolutely need imaginative spaces like science fiction that allow us to not only throw out everything we are told is possible but demand it of us so that we can start with the question what is the world we actually want to live in mhm isn't that great
1: yeah cuz like that those were the that you know when i think about magic moments and you know this was as a, a young and grown up um i now of course watching star trek as an adult i have better appreciation for the social change element with respect to society and and science fiction's role to play in that. Uh, as a younger kid, it was about imagining um, myself being more connected to a world, because right? especially as a young person. So but the personal element for me was the magic of feeling connected to a wider universe. Um, and I think that, and and then now, as an adult, is imagining, like, what that universe could be, as you've been talking about. In some ways, I, I actually think of that as a duality between Star Trek and Star Wars. You know, in a way, like, Star Wars is kind of a story about an individual growing up and then going to space to find themselves, whether it's, like, Luke or Ray with the new trilogy. And Star Trek is more about humanity growing up and trying to find itself in the wider universe, sort of that social element.
0: Yeah, yeah. Star Trek is a lot more... Collective in nature than Star Wars.
1: Yeah, and and certainly a lot more political in in nature. I mean, we got – we tried putting politics in Star Wars and that – it didn't work quite as well because it was like – it was speaking in a different language. That was more like Star Trek language, right? So I'm thinking back to like Phantom Menace and how it was about like space taxes and stuff.
0: Right. Yeah, no, we get get the Senate.
1: (laughs) Yeah, which I thought was cool. I'm like, I'm into it. But, you know, that's not really the forum for – that people are used to in Star Wars. It's almost like they flipped, you know, narratives in a way.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think – well, okay, no, no, let's let's not go down the tangent of the, the merits of Star Moving Wars on. and Star Trek. But, yeah, so when I think of, of magic, I think of, like, creativity and possibility. And we are capable mm-hmm. of working towards a future that is very different from the one that we are in right now.
1: And hopefully that's happening right now.
0: Yes, yeah. And I think, like like, all of the work that's being done by organizers all over the place really to you know work on defunding police departments and work on like making real hopefully permanent strides in racial justice and like yep. hopefully all of that is you know ho- hopefully we're we're really seeing a real change and not you know something that's going to be squashed but and and like I said before, I don't want to say like oh it's magic as though it's fluff, yeah, or as though yeah. like, this kind of stuff just happens. Like it's real people are putting in real work, and that is very yeah. much based in the real world. And I also think that. Hard work can make magical things happen.
1: Yeah, and their lives—you know—people are putting in their lives, or right yes, now, yes, um, for for change to happen, and you know, in a way to diminish that magic or hide. You know the in with the way that you're defining it has been especially like, I would say, right wing media focus on the violence of the protests. Not that I don't think in some ways that violence is justified. Like it talks specifically about like looting um, and like damage to public property, but that the focus on that is to diminish the reason behind the change and to make people feel more protective of status quo. and 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 in a way, I think it, it it's trying to obfuscate or hide the The magic behind the motivation to get out, that vision of a better world, and also just to highlight to people the horrors of this one that they may not be privy to
0: yeah i I agree it really it does hide the the magical side of what is happening and and I totally agree also that sometimes that violence is justified and necessary, and maybe maybe that's also part of the magic, but it but focusing on that erases the the collective work that people are doing and the coming together and the real beauty in all of these social movements.
1: I'm thinking about this a lot more in terms of um, growth, if that makes sense. Like, um, like the magic of, of growth and development. And I think that like the growth of an individual or the growth of a society is inherently tied to discomfort. Like you need, I think, I think societies and people need to feel discomfort in order to evolve. And the embracing of that discomfort is so tantamount to personal or societal evolution. And when I was at the protests a few weeks ago, here in Vancouver, one of the signs that I took a picture of, and it sat with me, is de- deprioritize white comfort.
0: Yeah. Because
1: I think a lot of why there's resistance to things is that we have, as I would say as a society, especially as white society, have, what's the word I want to use? I want to say championed or like idolized or even I would say divinitized, if that's a word. Like glorified, maybe? Yeah, glorified white comfort. Yeah. And I think it's almost to a point where, and I, I saw this, like I saw another article recently and they're talking about how like, People are starting to use rhetoric around, especially in, in some religious communities. Uh, the use of, like the imposition of the use of masks is like the devil's laws. Um, you know, in a, in a way, I think that we've almost got as far as to demonize discomfort, you know, almost add like a, like a, like a devil's edge to it. This is like it, that discomfort in any way is bad. If you feel uncomfortable, it's bad. If people are making you feel uncomfortable, it's bad. And that's why even like before all this was happening and you had, people even peacefully protesting, whether it was taking a knee, um, you know, or being even just peacefully protesting out in the street, people were saying, don't do that. It's not cool. And then when the violence starts happening, everyone's like, why are you violently protesting? As if we weren't already or if people weren't, I don't include myself in this, but the people of color were already doing this work before to highlight these injustices and make people uncomfortable that was the point of it but it's like at what point do we need to keep pushing that in order for people then recognize oh wow we really need to embrace this discomfort we need to shift the status quo and that i think is a a magical or transformative act as well
0: yeah yeah i think so to me magic is not like magic is is work and I think also, and this kind of relates to this episode that we're going to get into. I say this as someone who grew up being very good naturally at things that were valued by people around me. So I was really good at a lot. Like I was always really good at math. I was good at reading. I was good at analysis. Nerd. I was a total nerd. Um, <laughs> and so, but one thing that that kind of came from that was that I didn't always have to work hard. So, that was like a that's that's been a much more difficult uh habit to build is like working hard at something that doesn't come easily to me so maybe for me like hard work is magic because that's the thing yeah. that's always you know felt so you know so much less possible right cuz cuz things that came easily to me things coming Coming easily without working hard, that was something um, in a lot of respects, not all, but in a lot of respects, that was something that I was used to. But working hard was something that I learned a lot later in life. I'm still learning, to be honest.
1: Yeah, I saw a funny meme someone had posted on Facebook recently, and it was like, raise your hand if you're one of those kids that was like high achieving, younger, and then became a nervous wreck as an adult (laughs) later in life. Yeah, totally. Yeah, because... I found – I yeah, I found that, like, things seem to come easily to me as a kid, but then you get off into the real world and you're like, oh, I don't know if any of that really prepared me for some of the difficulties of life or, like, navigating – your own career path. Like I found the structure of school made things really easy for me. But then when I got outside of it, and now it was like, find your way. Yeah. Um. You know, actually, the traveler kind of talks about this in this episode, as we're about to get into, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, they're asked, like, what is your destination? And he's like, destination? I don't know, I just travel around. Like, so in some ways, I've felt like that, especially in the last couple of years, navigating a career change and trying to get more into science education. It's like, okay, well, where, where do I go now? Am I making the most of my time? Am I being magical? Yeah.
0: So but. But that to me is the thing that seems like magic is putting in the work and and keeping to put it in, even as you're like, oh, this is so hard. And like, wouldn't it be easier if there was like some trick that I could do? But no, the real magic comes from comes from hard work.
1: Whoa. So Whew.
0: there's your oh, lesson Do we even need to talk today. about this
1: episode now? <laughs> Well, that was a great. That thank you for sharing that. Uh, that was that was really cool.
0: Isn't that that I've I have thought about that so much in you know
1: I have I have Octavius Brood sitting in a pile of sci-fi books um, beside me right now. I need to dig it out because I haven't actually read it yet. Yeah, I really um, enjoyed and it. I need to do that, and I think it's it's so important that we remember because I I think often um, they were lost in the rush of the piles of male science fiction writers that people are always clamoring over to say that they're the classics, you know? Yeah. And there are so many great science fiction writers like Ursula K. Le Guin, women who are writing science fiction and specifically using sci-fi, not to just talk about like cool... Spacey ideas they had in their head, but to talk about the magic of potential societal yeah. change, and I think it's important to remember that those authors are there.
0: Yeah, and I, let's let's mention Octavia Butler since she's who Octavia's Brood is named. Brood is named after. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. It's yeah, absolutely, and I think that's something that's important to remember, especially because science fiction is often can I think sort of societally constructed as like a m- men's realm, um, and it's it's what? not, and it never has been. Get
1: out of here. <laughs> <laughs> What do you mean?
0: So, should we get into the Smash episode? Smash the patriarchy. Yeah, let's do it.
1: <laughs> In this episode, a propulsion scientist claims to make upgrades to the Enterprise's warp drive and ends up taking them to the outer rim of the known universe and beyond. Bum, bum, bum.
0: What an episode this is.
1: Yeah, so the Enterprise prepares for, we, I think they, they meet up with another ship.
0: Yeah, the USS Fearless.
1: The Fearless, yeah. uh, which I think is Excelsior class. It's like this, it, it's a like cool piece of stock footage that they use every time they meet another starship, like over and over and over again. So he wants to come aboard and make the ship's warp drive more efficient. And Riker and Data think that the equations are nonsense. They've like tested them on the ship's computer and they don't seem to do anything.
0: Yeah, so so Kaczynski and his assistant, whose name is impar- apparently impossible for humans to announce, they come on board and Kaczynski... Okay, I don't know about you, Matt, but I feel like I've met Kaczynski multiple <laughs> times in my life, and I can't you've met, stand
1: him. you met Kaczynski's? We should use that. That'll be code now. If you ever encounter people like that, I'd be like, yo, Matt, I met a total Kazinski today. Kaczynski. I don't know exactly what you mean.
0: He bugs me the entire episode, even at the end where he kind of turns around. No, I'm not buying it.
1: Yeah, he's kind. Of, he's a very. He's a dick.
0: He's so smug and like so
1: smug. Ugh, and,
0: yeah. No. Ugh, he's just an
1: icky and gross. I
0: just. I just don't like. And and I. He's the kind of person. This maybe this is mean, but like I feel bad for that actor because the actor does a phenomenal job of playing him. And I. I wonder like, I don't. I don't know. I didn't look up that the actor's uh, other work, but I wonder if he ever gets to play like. Like if, kind if, characters.
1: Yeah, To some actors, I think, totally get typecast. Like once you once you're good at playing douche, you get typecast as yeah. douche. Yeah, you get the douche cast. So, it's like that's I think that might be a thing. And, but, yeah, you're right, because you, you dislike the actor so much so you know that they're doing a good job.
0: yeah, no, he does a phenomenal job. I cannot yeah. stand this character.
1: the The only way they could have put a cherry on the character is like if in between like in between moments in engineering, he's like trying to pick up Troy or something. like yeah you know, and being like a total like just douche yeah, about it. But, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, at least he doesn't do that. Thank goodness,
1: but in a total contrast to that, you have the assistant. And, and like you said we don't know what their name is but he seems pretty like just like gentle and sort of humble mm-hmm. and and kind but Troy can't get a read on them they seem very mysterious
0: like just there's like nothing there for her to pick up they go to engineering we've got a new chief of engineering i notice actually uh riker said one of our engineering chiefs so
1: yeah, they haven't really settled yeah, on one <laughs> So this guy's name is like Argyle. Yeah,
0: Chief Argyle. Argyle. So Argyle. Proper like
1: Scottish name. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, Ar- Argyle and Riker basically make Kaczynski explain what he's doing. He doesn't want to. He's like, this, this has been approved by Starfleet Command. But Riker's like, too bad.
1: Actually, I like this because he, he does it kind of in a, he's not like arrogant back to him. No. Um, it's more like Kaczynski's like, well, I didn't know you required approval. And Riker's like, well, now you do. But not like in a in like a bitey way. He just he's just cool about it. Yeah, I, I love Riker. I you know what? The more I watch TNG, the more I like Riker. I think he's cool.
0: This will come up later. There there are definitely times, th- and my issue with all of this is I I always when a character that I like does things that I don't like, I'm always like, well, that's just the writer's fault. And, and and it is, I mean, ultimately, it is the writer's choice to do that. So there are definitely times when in from my perspective, the writers make choices with Riker that I'm like, ugh, why would you have to do that? Um, but I, I agree here. He's like he's very like respectful and and not diminishing of like Kaczynski's work, but he's just like, well, I don't understand it and this chief engineer doesn't understand it, and it's our engines, and we want to understand what you're doing. So,
1: and not be vaporized.
0: Yeah. So, Kaczynski's yeah. like, okay, I'll explain it. But we miss the explanation because instead we turn to Wesley talking with the assistant and actually like making some modifications to the assistant's work.
1: Yeah. It's a good shift in focus. Like, this is for us to even see as an audience. Okay. Like, Kaczynski's. Kind of full of crap. Like what's really going on behind the scenes is with the assistant. And finally, because I thought it showed up earlier, you know what I'm about to say? I know exactly what what you're about to say. Orange sweater. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I want that sweater. Yeah. Find it somewhere. What, What?
0: It's such an interesting. I mean, the whole look is great. I love tracking Wesley's wardrobe. But like
1: the sweater,
0: <laughs> it's it's like mostly knitted. I think there are some section, some panels that are like a different fabric. But it's mostly knitted. But it's got like six different like knitting patterns in it.
1: There's so many layers. Yeah, it's so intricate. Maybe it's like the folds of warp space. Is this actually a deep analogy? I'm. I don't. I mean, not. maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because he's looking at all these ripples of this warp bubble that maybe I was like, oh, maybe his shirt's supposed to look like that graphic. It kind of does. I don't know.
0: There you go. There we, okay. You've explained. You solved the it. mystery. But I also want to add that he's wearing these like pinstripe pants with them.
1: Oh, I didn't notice that so was a big attention. that's,
0: yeah, I mean, the.
1: I was just so happy about this.
0: <laughs> the sweater gets a lot of attention. But yeah, there are also these like pinstripe pants. Um, I would also just like to point out, so Troy is in her usual, I guess this is kind of what she wears for season one, um, her gray outfit with the the green belt. But in the very first scene on the bridge, I, this is probably just a continuity error, her belt was red. And then when she got to the transporter room, it was green.
1: Wow, you, that's a lot of attention to detail. Or th- I wouldn't pick up on that. You very You are analytical. Uh,
0: <laughs> especially when it comes to... Star Trek wardrobe,
1: the wardrobe. You're like, yeah. what happened? Is yeah, it, what kind of meaning does it? But have?
0: I, th- okay. I think that's just like a, a continuity error, and I don't know if we've seen the red belt before. Maybe in Code of Honor, which I didn't watch, so I might have missed it. But I think the green one's more common. But we'll find, we'll find out.
1: We'll find out. So uh, they decide to start this test, and it something, something's going on because Kaczynski all of a sudden looks to the traveler, and he's like, "What are you doing?" You know, their velocity goes like. They say off the scale passes warp ten.
0: I just, I just want to point out. Sorry to interrupt, but I want to point out the reason that Kaczynski looked at the traveler was that the traveler was not looking at his work, but was looking at Wesley instead.
1: Yeah, so he's he's distracted. I don't know if they they're trying to imply there that something went wrong because he's distracted. Um, but you know, all of a sudden they end up, they're passing by, I I noticed that when they're passing through space, they just threw up like a bunch of random astrophotography images of like (laughs) different space things that are just like whipping past them. Yeah. Um, and they end up like 300 years of normal travel away in Triangulum Galaxy M33, which is an actual galaxy. That's, that's a real, that's a real
0: place. Yeah. So Matt, can you explain a little bit about what... Because they they talk about, like, breaking the warp barrier or, like, breaking free of the warp barrier. So what are they talking about here?
1: Well, let me tell you, Ruthie, I spent a lot of nerdy time reading this TNG, the Star Trek Next Generation technical manual by Michael Okuda and Rick Sternbach, whom, both of whom I got to meet at some point in my life and told them this, that I read the copy of that book ragged. I used to have it open while I was watching the show, analyzing the engineering of the ship. For me, knowing those technical things and, you know, having them created them, I think makes the ship feel more real for some people. Like, it, it for me, it made the, sh- the, the ship feel more immersive.
0: It's so funny how different you and I are in how we uh, like uh, how we consumed star trek as children <laughs> it's so funny i i love it i think it's so great because i think like we both just have this deep deep love for the show but it it's so different i love yeah. it i love it
1: that's that's a cool thing people could get so much different stuff out of it yeah right? um but yeah so they i think at this point of the show they hadn't quite created like there is a warp velocity scale and I think at this point they hadn't really quite sorted it out because according to the warp scale in Star Trek The Next Generation, uh, warp 10 is the a- absolute speed limit of the universe. Once you hit warp 10, you're actually traveling at infinite velocity. You can you can jump from any point of the universe to any other instantaneously.
0: And they, they never, or they, they don't really go to warp 10, right? Like they go to warp 9.999999, but...
1: Well, that's, that's the thing. So in when they go back, and I think this is a bit of a retcon from the TNG technical manual, but they actually have a readout from this episode of how fast the Enterprise is really going. And you're like, you're right, it approaches asymptotically to like um, warp 10 after warp 9. So after like warp 9.1 and 9.2 is, is a lot faster than the differences between the warp scales prior to that. Yeah. It, they do say in this one that they pass warp 10, but I think afterwards that they establish when they need to figure out how fast the Enterprise actually goes, um, to at least have some plot consistency. I suppose they say that the Enterprise like no vessel can go past warp 10. Warp 10 is like you're traveling infinitely quick, and so as you're approaching warp 10, you start going very 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 fast. So they're not actually going past warp 10, but they're going fast enough to get to another galaxy in like a few seconds. And that's that's really
0: fast. Right. But I mean what's sort of implied in this episode and then we learn later that it's because of the assistant Or the traveler's interference, kind of. What's sort of implied is that that warp 10 limit might not be real, but then I guess they kind of decided to change that for later episodes.
1: Yeah, and I think as we're about to see, it becomes a shift more about, like, physical travel, more to, like, metaphysical travel. Yes right yes. and so it's it's like it's less about the enterprise traveling through space and more about through imagination yeah so you're you're traveling at the speed of imagination or the, literally the speed of thought which is kind of basically what he's the point he's trying to get to yeah thanks for asking
0: yeah, i'm always glad I mean,
1: to flex my technical manual nerd muscle
0: always happy to give you an opportunity i hope
1: michael akuda if you're listening to this that you're proud of me <laughs>
0: Also, if we got it wrong, feel free to let us know. Feel free to message us and let us know. Yeah, I'm a little confused. Maybe this is just me not understanding this uh, technical side of the enterprise. But like they say that the velocity is off the scale. They go farther than anyone's ever gone before. So then, how are they able to finish to like figure out their position if they're going if they're faster than they're able to measure? then they don't know how fast they're going, so they can't figure out the distance they're going.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a good question one of the ways that we we may actually be able to navigate around space is by using pulsars uh, so dead stars and there's there's a on the Voyager space probe that we launched into space uh, in the 1970s that has like I think in 2015 finally reached the edge of our solar system there's a gold record on it and that record actually has a map of pulsars which are rapidly spinning uh, dead cores of stars that have gone supernova and each one of those pulsars has a fingerprint a unique fingerprint in terms of its rate of rotation so mm-hmm. the rate of rot- of a pulsar is unique. And if you have a whole bunch of them mapped out, you can kind of figure out where you are relative to where those pulsars are, kind of like lighthouses in space. But if you've traveled so far that you've actually lost track of yourself, I don't know how you do that. Yeah. Maybe they've got sophisticated telescopes on this, on that realize like, oh, look, we can see the Milky Way off in the distance. Right. But I think they just need to establish that we've gone really far, yeah. really quickly without going into the, the technical aspect. Of it, it is
0: fiction. We don't need to hold it to our standards of <laughs> Reality, yeah. All the time,
1: I, I, that's probably a good point too, because I, I probably some of the writers, there, there might always be a temptation to get too much into the technical, but then, like at some point, the science need to serve the story, so you yes. kind of just say like, we went really far, let's move yeah. on. The point is that we went really far.
0: Kaczynski is like so delighted and smug about this mistake he made, which he explains again. I don't, I don't mean to like harp on writers. I, he says he that he. He says asymptomatically ins- instead of asymptotically, which is probably just like a writer. I don't know. They use the wrong word, whatever. I kind of love it though, because he's so smug and he gets the word wrong.
1: And maybe this is the point of it is that they, they say that he doesn't really, he's just speaking nonsense. Yeah, Argyle
0: like, and Riker are like, no, what he said just made no sense.
1: In contrast to the normal technical nonsense that they're which saying on the show. makes perfect sense. Time. <laughs> <laughs> I think they uh, the the cast used to refer to it as techno battle.
0: Yes, yeah, I think they did. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the assistant is unwell. Wesley talks to him, and in their discussion, he realizes or he he mentions that space and time and thought are not the separate things that they appear to be. So that's what he has sort of, I guess, garnered from watching the assistant. Yeah,
1: he says he sees it in the in the equations that Wesley's able to work that out. Yeah. And in in that moment the 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 traveler almost becomes upset. Like he's he's cautioning him. He's like, don't say those things out loud. This idea is too dangerous for right now.
0: Kaczynski's like, well this is amazing. This is this is a this is an amazing experiment that we're doing. And Picard rightly points out that scientific experiments need to be replicable. You can't just mm-hmm. do something once and be like, look, I proved it's possible. You have to you have to be able to do it again and again. That's
1: why people should trust science.
0: Yeah, because that's how it works. You do the same thing over and over again. Yeah, so and Kaczynski's like, well, I will do it again. I'll do it to to get us home.
1: Yeah, and hopefully he can, because yeah. otherwise they're stuck there. That's the implication, I think, or the point Picard's trying to make. Yeah, yeah. Can you get us home?
0: But and that's the like that's the thing that Kaczynski seems to just not even be thinking about, or not even occurring to him throughout the entire episode. Like anytime anyone brings up an issue, it just it just doesn't seem to occur to him that like getting home should be a pretty high priority. The they the crew have sort of different opinions on the situation Troy uh which I like that Troy is the first one who Picard goes to for her opinion but she senses that Kaczynski is convinced that he's right Mm -hmm. which I think implies that she thinks he's not right
1: yes that those are not the same thing you can (laughs) at all
0: (laughs) she doesn't say it out loud but it's it's definitely there
1: it's there, yeah.
0: Worf doesn't think Kaczynski can be trusted. He made a pretty huge mistake, and can we can we trust him not to make another huge mistake? Uh LaForge doesn't think they have any other options, like, okay, so if he doesn't bring us home, who will?
1: Yeah, because they don't know what he even did.
0: Yeah. And right. and Data thinks they should explore.
1: Which, yeah, because why not? Yeah, Data's and, like, I don't need to go anywhere. I could live for hundreds of years.
0: Totally. And I also think, like, Picard even says, like, that that reaction is the reaction of a true Starfleet graduate. And, I mean, this episode is called Where No One Has Gone Before. And that's clearly part of mm-hmm. the Enterprise's mandate, right? To boldly go where no one has gone before. So, you know, it that is, like, Starfleet at this point is an exploration organization, right? So it makes yes. sense. Yes.
1: Well, it's supposed to be. Yeah. At its best. Yes. At its best, it does that. Like
0: that, that is, that is its, like th- that is its mandate right now. Whether that's what it yeah. actually does is different, but that is what it probably teaches students at Starfleet Academy and what it purports to do. So, so it makes sense that that would be a priority for at least some officers. Um, but Picard basically says, yeah, it would be great if we could explore here, but maybe we go home first and make sure we're able to do that. And then once we know that we can do that, we can send someone else over here to explore.
1: That makes that makes sense. Yeah. That seems like the safe bet.
0: Yes. So Wesley noticed when this was happening the first time that the assistant kind of like faded in and out of existence.
1: Riker doesn't listen.
0: Yeah, yeah. He tries to tell Riker and Riker's like, no.
1: No, he's Wesley gets so dismissed in the in in this episode, like almost for no reason. You're kind of like, okay, well, is it just because he's young? Um, you know, is it because he's too eager? I don't, I don't know. What, what, you, why, why is he so I, shut down? I
0: thought at this point, I think for me, it was sort of understandable that Riker's like, I need to focus on getting us back home. Whatever Wesley has to say, I'm sure it's very important, but it can wait. It just doesn't. Cross his mind that what Wesley has to say might be crucial to getting them back home. That's my kind of an
1: opinion. irony. Yeah, it's an irony to the episode because they, well, you know what? We'll get more into later, but I want to touch a, a little bit more on imagination in a second and, yeah. and the irony then of him being distressed. Yeah, but we'll, sure. we'll get into that.
0: Yeah. So they try it again. Uh, again, the assistant flashes in and out of existence, and Riker sees it this time. The ship moves like so fast that everyone vibrates. And they end up like millions, like billion, millions, like or billions billion of light
1: years, or light years away from home. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, millions or billions of light years away. From- and they
1: end up in a space bubble bath because <laughs> that's what it looks like. It's like they're sitting there, and it's like it's like oh, we're in someone, we're in like God's bathtub. We're, like yeah, they're like, it really, like it's
0: like almost like clouds, but not quite. They're like floating yeah. dice
1: things yeah
0: and then weird things start happening everywhere Worf sees a klingon targ an old pet that he had uh yar sees a cat
1: just quick note on that first
0: oh i know didn't you're going.
1: Worf grow up on earth well
0: we don't we haven't learned anything about Worf yet
1: Okay, so maybe they haven't decided that yeah. yet because I was like, I was like, we're his Russian, like his Russian parents, we meet them later and they seem quite sweet. So they might be cool with him having a Targ on Earth, but you know, I'm just saying.
0: Yeah, we, we, we don't know anything about Worf yet. So,
1: no, not yet. Who knows?
0: But uh, yeah, I guess he had a Klingon Targ somewhere. Um, cool. Yar sees a cat and then transports to what looks, she looks like she's in Mad Max. Like the original Mad Max, not Fury Road, right. but like the Mel Gibson Mad Max.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and they've hinted um, or they've given us an inkling of of a little bit of her past that she lived on a colony that was quite like you know
0: Very violent. in disarray and, and yeah.
1: violent, and that she's being chased by these gangs that are out to rape her. Yeah. Um, and I I have a note here that unfortunately we don't really see much of Yar's past again after this. No. Um, which is which kind of sucks because again it's like a lot of the other characters don't really have like a, difficult past as far as we know like Worf has one where he feels alienated from his own society and everything but it would have been interesting if they had like a compare and contrast background for one of the characters who didn't grow up on earth that it's like a 24th century utopia but actually had like this terrible experience in this colony and dealt with poverty and violence and so I, it's just one of those things that they they give it they drop a hint in that you that maybe was the intent to pick up on in the future and then unfortunately we just we just don't see it so it,
0: this is definitely something that's clearly affecting her because she flashes back she sees herself there it seems to me because and they go they get into how like thought creates reality where they are right now and so she sees this targ and she says oh it's like a kitty cat which then i guess triggers a memory of her saving a cat
1: Mm -hmm. and
0: then being chased by gangs and when she comes out of it she's clearly very disturbed very rattled
1: yeah Um,
0: other weird things happen picard steps off the turbo lift and almost ends up, like, stepping off into outer space.
1: It's one of my favorite scenes in all of Star Trek. Oh, really? Where he's just, like, standing out the door. And there's just, like, s- stars whipping by. And it's, like, it's funny because rather than just be like, if you opened a door and all of a sudden there was space, you like, your reaction would just be to jump back inside. But he, like, dangles his leg out and he's like, ah, like, over into space. Yeah, it's hilarious. It's like
0: it's, like, he <laughs> stepped without looking and then... Never make yep. that mistake again.
1: No, you'll never look at a Turrula the same way yeah. after that.
0: There's also, like, some up in, like, some, it's inconsistent whether people can see, whether everyone can see what what certain people can see. So, like, there's this officer in a cargo bay doing, like, a ballet dance, and she's in, like, a full tutu, leotard, her hair's up in a bun, and then Picard looks mm-hmm. in and sees an officer in uniform twirling around the cargo bay. Um, we also have like an officer playing violin with some old ancient violin players from-
1: Yeah, old timey players. Yeah. Maybe it's inconsistent in some ways, like some people can see the manifestation of other people's imaginations. Sometimes it looks more like daydreaming almost, but- Yeah.
0: yeah. Then we, uh, we meet Picard's mother. And as I was watching this, I thought, you know, maybe the reason Picard seemed so old- when we were kids is that his mother is clearly from the like the Victorian era <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah then which is which is interesting because if we fast forward all the way to like the movies like in Star Trek Generations he has that Christmas scene do you yes, remember that and when they're like, again and it's, in,
0: like it's got little boys in the they're like britches yeah, it's like and what
1: are you a thousand years it's old like come so on so funny Unless people just have, like, a very, like, weird impression of France and its development. Like, did they, they go back through a period like that? I don't know. Anyways.
0: Maybe that'll be season two of, of Star Trek Picard will deal with the the Victorian Renaissance in France.
1: So, Riker shows up and and Picard's mother disappears. You have a note here that you thought that was some great acting from Patrick Stewart with his mom.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He He looks and sees that she's not there anymore and he's kind of like, oh, oh, never mind. Yeah. 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 She also gives him a hint of what's going on that, that – because she says that she's always with him and that kind of makes him think like, oh, okay, so it's what's inside of us that is creating – our surroundings right now.
1: When it comes to that realization, he's like, okay, we, we have to be careful. So he orders general quarters, explains that thoughts become reality. So everyone needs to control their thoughts or like, you know, like the Stave Marshmallow Man might show up yeah. or whatever it is that you happen to be thinking about. I, I wondered like whether or not, like what would that affect data? Can yeah, data we manifest don't, things because he's that, not eh? biological? I was just one of these things I want. I'm like, I put a note here. I'm like, is data Interesting. Riker explains that it's the assistant, so the traveler, not Kaczynski who brought them there. You wrote down here that there's a funny blooper. I didn't see it. Have is you ever comment?
0: seen the blooper of Riker saying that? No. He, okay, so the line is it wasn't him. It never was. It was his assistant. Okay. And Jonathan Frakes, I guess. I don't know, too many us sounds. He, so many times, he's like, it wasn't him. It never was. It was, (laughs) it's so funny. It wasn't him. It never was. It was, it's it's really good. Yeah, there's a great blooper of that.
1: Crusher's examining the assistant. It says he's dying. And I was like, why is he on a bed in engineering?
0: I guess she brought it there because he's dying. (laughs)
1: Cause, but shouldn't he be in sickbay? That was one of the things I was like, why are they doing this the examination on him in engineering? I guess they wanted to keep the set because that's like the stories around
0: Yeah, I mean, then they moved to sickbay like, right after yeah. that. So who knows?
1: Yeah, it's just like, let's they, put him here yeah. while he's dying. Yeah. He's like, I love engines. Don't let me take, don't take them away. from. <laughs> he's like, oh, okay, fine.
0: Riker points out Picard kind of wants Wesley out of sickbay, and they keep referring to him as the boy, and he gets really fed up with that. But Riker points out that the assistant has developed like a, a connection to Wesley, and some mm-hmm. some people have pointed out that it's a little bit weird. Wesley's a kid; the assistant or the traveler is clearly an adult. It's me. May- there's maybe sort of something creepy.
1: Oh, I I didn't pick up on that as much. I I guess so. I I was looking at it more from like um like an engaged mentor point of view. And I, I think maybe that there is an attempt there to contrast the inattention from the rest of the crew uh, to Wesley and his potential and the things that we've seen him go through up in this point where he's been kind of like um, excluded from shift functions and being yelled at on the bridge and everything else is that, okay, we've had someone now come into his life who recognizes his potential and what
0: he's capable of doing. I mean, that's, that I think, was... In my early days of, of seeing the show, that was certainly my read of it. And having heard and read things about it coming across as, like, a potential, like, a grooming kind of relationship, I think I've looked at it through that lens. And I think the one thing to me that always gets me, like, that makes me very uncomfortable is any time an adult tells a kid or a teenager to keep something secret from other adults. So like when he says, don't tell other people about this thing you've discovered they're not ready, that just has so many alarm bells attached to it to me, even though in this episode, what he's talking about is the nature of space and time and thought and reality and illusion. Having an adult say that is to me is never okay
1: no yeah i i I think that was a bit of a it's probably a bit of a miss on the on the writing part as to that the dynamic that created because I, i yeah i think what they're trying to do is they say that you know they're finally giving wesley an ally yeah um certainly he's had one with with dr crusher all this time yeah but in terms of like um, his future potential and what he can accomplish, and so, and, and and I think that's why he stands up for himself here as well. He's got a little bit more courage with the crew. He normally is always trying to just like earn their favor so they get on the bridge, but finally he, you know, I think he has a little bit more courage because he's got this ally, someone who's noticed that he has this potential. And so when Riker finally says the boy for like the last time, that's when Wesley's like, "Hey, I've got a name, yeah," and it's Wesley, and I, I'm kind of proud of him. At that yeah, moment. I, yeah, I like you stand that up moment. for yourself, good for you. And
0: Picard also at that moment is at first he's really like he's really short with him he's like yeah we know what your name is but then he realizes that actually no it's not cool to to refer to a child as the boy that's not okay so he because he he snaps at him and he says yeah he knows your name and then he's like okay no we all know your name you have a name let's use your name
1: so we start digging into so the traveler here and and talking about like how uh why they're experiencing like this travel like through a you know, they're experiencing reality and its projections. And Picard says, well, there's no velocity that can bring us to wherever this is. This is not like a place in space anymore. You know, we're kind of outside of space time. And, you know, the traveler is talking about how he can bend thought into reality. And that in this sense, like, imagination is the real warp drive. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, in a way – that's true of all warp drive. You know, whether or not it's the technical manual and the specs that they put in there and the scientific details that I was interested in as a kid. But in a way, warp drive really is. It's the power of thought and imagination. This is the magic. Right? And it's the magic that you know, I, I think that you're trying to allude to earlier. Is It's the magic that brings us to places we haven't imagined, um, places we want to imagine. Um, it brings us along to new discoveries and growth and opportunity. And so, it, you know, warp drive is always propelled by imagination and
0: thought. Right, in in universe and out of universe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so basically what this guy has been doing, this traveler, is he, he has these abilities and knowledge with propulsion, and he has been using that knowledge to kind of pass off his work as Kaczynski's work because that lets him travel on Starfleet vessels because he wants to see how... These people experience reality. So he clearly experiences yeah. reality differently, and this has been giving him an opportunity to experience it the way we experience yeah. it.
1: And Kaczynski jumps on it because he's defensive at this point, and he's saying like, "No, he's talking nonsense," which is ironic because he's been like talking nonsense the entire he episode. Has, he literally had nothing real to contribute. Yeah,
0: and he also like like he he gets super rude about that and. Picard eventually points out that he's just being entirely unhelpful. Like he's like, he's like, no, that's that's ridiculous. No, that won't work. That's just a theory. And Picard's like, Well, do you have any facts right now? We've just found out that you actually haven't done any of this stuff. You don't actually know how to get us home. So unless you have something helpful to add, maybe stop poo-pooing everybody's ideas.
1: Yeah. And so now they gotta figure out, well, how to get back. And so uh, the traveler also notes at this point he speaks to Picard in private and tells him Wesley is special yeah and it's the first time we get a hint of of maybe some other future for Wesley apart from the rest of the crew yeah maybe in a way
0: yeah and he says and again I find it a little weird that he he tells Picard not to tell Dr. Crusher I think that's I mean like why not like why shouldn't yeah don't tell mom don't tell mom why like that's a little weird it does I I think I don't know I'd be interested in how you Feel this is kind of tying into my earlier comment about like you know things coming easily to some people as kids and then being yeah. more difficult as an adult. He says not to tell Wesley, and I think that that sort of makes sense because if you tell a kid like you are special, you are amazing, that's an awful lot of pressure to put on. They
1: grow up a to kid. be anxious adults. Yes, all.
0: they do. They <laughs> really do.
1: Sometimes can don't.
0: confirm, but to encourage him, he says so. Don't tell him, but but find a way to encourage him to develop i guess the implication is that his special talents relate to warp drive and propulsion the way that mozart's special talents related to music right right? yeah
1: that there's like a natural instinct in understanding the fabric of reality yeah which is cool i want to i want to be a traveler i want to phase out and appear in space bathtub very cool
0: (laughs) space bubble bath
1: uh, okay, so Picard's like, okay, I gotta get back to the bridge, and then he's, like, walking around. Uh, he helps, there's an officer who thinks that there's a fire going on, and he's like, concentrate and put the fire out in your mind. And, like, he does, because it's, you know, and it's, like, this great scene where they're like, no, let's get ourselves back together and get yeah. home. On Troy and Yar's advice, right, uh, Picard basically messages the ship and is like, don't, like, think happy thoughts, basically. Yeah, this is a very,
0: like, <laughs> keep that positive attitude, kind of. Keep
1: positive attitude. Yeah,
0: and, and, and it's kind of, you know, basically he says we need to... We need to think about getting home. You need to think about your duty and think about the well-being of the traveler because he needs that right now because he's not well and we need him to be well to get us home and because he can turn thoughts into reality, that's what's going to get us home.
1: That that our, our thoughts will determine our direction and our course, literally in this case.
0: Yeah. I, find, I find the scene at, towards the end really funny when... Uh, the Traveler says that he needs Kaczynski at the main computer, and, yeah, and he's like, like oh, you still need me? Yeah, and well, and to be too. like, <laughs> to, to give credit to Kaczynski, the Traveler mentions early on, I, it's a really funny scene where Wesley asks if Kaczynski is a joke. And the Traveler says that that's not entirely fair, that he does have some sense of what is going on, that thought yeah. and and reality and illusion are, are not. He's like all that's too different. cruel. Yeah. Call him a joke. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, Kaczynski isn't totally out to lunch on this. He did have some understanding. He Insights, yeah, yeah. It just turns out that even with that understanding, it's not possible to travel at the speed of thought.
1: Yeah. He was actually the sidekick. Yes. Not the other way around. Yes. So they try to replicate the experiment. At first, it's not working. They're kind of just traveling at normal velocity. Traveler's exhausted and can't summon the strength. And, you know, Wesley tries to encourage him on and kind of like takes his hand. He's like, no, you got this. Yeah. And then he starts phasing in and out. And they get all the way home. But the traveler entirely disappears, like phases out of reality.
0: And interestingly, like the the ship's uh, computers have never registered beyond warp 1.5, this entire – except – At the beginning, I guess. That first time for whatever reason, yeah. Yeah, but now now it's it's been consistently at warp one point five. They're back now. And Picard wishes the traveler well. And I think what what I think is is especially sweet about that is that the traveler is able to turn thoughts and wishes into reality. So wishing the traveler well is more meaningful than just you know, hoping that he will be well, it actually might help him be well.
1: And then this is a big moment for Wesley yeah. at the end of this episode. Picard,
0: I I like this scene a lot because I I think part of it is just Patrick Stewart. I mean, he, I, I think that the character of Picard was written a little inconsistently at the beginning and then they eventually settled on a character that really worked. And I think we see a lot of that eventual character in this scene. He is just like, he's quite formal and very, he's very businesslike with Wesley. He brings him to the bridge and he's like, oh, why don't you hang out at command? Oh, oh, no, can't do that. You're not an officer. Gee, how can we get around this? And tells Wesley not to interrupt him. Um, but he's, you know, he's being a little silly and a little goofy because his, 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 plan clearly is to make Wesley into an acting ensign. That's a really big thing for a 15, 16 year old. How old is he? 15, 16? Something like that?
1: I think it might be even younger. It might be yeah, 14. That's, there. But yeah, that's a big deal. On the flagship of the of the Federation. Yeah. Not many yeah. not many
0: people get to get to do that. Yeah. So it's it's a really sweet scene. Riker offers to send for Dr. Crusher, but Picard doesn't think that that's necessary right now. He wants to give Wesley the opportunity to tell him or to tell her himself. And yeah, and that's I think that's really nice.
1: Yeah, in a way, arguably, Wesley got them home. Yeah. Or at least he was a big catalyst in getting them home. He did. I mean, so. he
0: was the one he was the first one to realize what exactly was going on. And he played a big part in supporting the traveler for sure. Yeah.
1: And they arrive back, yeah, which is they're awesome. They're home. Uh they their home. I was thinking, I, I kind of want to circle back to the beginning of our conversation before we got started. And I was thinking just in terms of this whole idea about how our thoughts determine reality, like focus determine reality in life, right? And how things are shaped. And I, I think I started, I know if I'm articulating this well, but I started thinking about this in terms of accomplishment and success and then like ambition but then also tempering all of that through um through privilege like a lens of privilege i think it's like especially right now i'm thinking about that with um with the conversations around how uh privilege like especially white privilege kind of impacts society so you know growing up you always heard like this idea about like You know, follow your dreams, and that's going to determine your reality. Kind of like, in some ways, I think that's the subtext of this episode: is that like your imagination will carry you farther. But then there's kind of like a duality to that: is like, well, does that mean people who don't accomplish enough? Do they just lack a vision? Do they lack the ambition? Do they lack the imagination? Do they lack the thoughts? And I, I, I think it's important to remember that if if people, I think everyone wants to pursue their dreams. But not everybody can. And that is a tragedy because I think about how many amazing dreams might be locked inside of people that don't have the means to accomplish them because uh, in many cases, society has actually worked to marginalize them. And so, you know, there's often this conversation around like, if someone's poor or we're looking at a poor neighborhood, is that if all things being equal and we don't look at things like systemic racism that we say like oh i guess those people just aren't very imaginative i guess they just don't work very hard
0: yeah it's a really important conversation to have and i think with this episode i think there are there are a few different ways to interpret that idea of um of if you know of thoughts of turning thoughts into reality and manifesting reality but it's really important to keep systemic Privilege and systemic oppression in mind when you're talking about that. Because, yeah, the idea that people who earn a lot of money deserve that money more than people who don't erases the very true thing, which is access and, yes, like systemic privilege and systemic oppression that that gives people that gives some people access and denies other people access
1: and that's why i think it's like i don't know how to maybe i'm beating on the metaphor too hard but it's like if everyone were given access to a traveler or a starship you know like in the metaphorical sense i'm thinking that like if they had the vehicle by which their thoughts could take them to the places that they want to go well, then we could get everyone there, but not everyone gets access to one of those things, either like mentorship or like a traveler character or resources in the form of a starship or education or or fet- or fet, like or the academy or whatever. Yeah. Like, and so if everyone had those things, well, yeah, then everyone would like – and then like the majority of us, I would say 99% of us, if you've got the resources, if you have the health, if you've got the support, well, yeah, people are going to go and pursue their dreams. They're going to turn their thoughts into reality but unless people have the resources that they can get and we haven't found like completely arbitrary racist ways to keep those from some people well then yeah they're not going to be able to so i think when we say things like you know your thoughts will determine your destination or like you know follow your dreams we need to put an asterisk around that and make sure that people actually have the capacity to do so
0: yeah and i would actually even add to that that those people who do have those resources to follow their dreams often have those resources at the expense of other people, right? Oh, so like yeah. like billionaires make their money by paying laborers minimum wage or less, less. in some cases. Or
1: less, yeah. Or, less, or, right? or paying minimum wage, but then also if wage increases, then they're like, okay, well, then we're going to strip away your health insurance yeah. or, you know, whatever else. Yeah,
0: or I, th- I think a really... Important, like, like intergenerational wealth comes at the expense of, you know, maybe people who worked for your family or maybe people who were enslaved by your family once upon a time. So the idea, I think it's, it's A, important to keep in mind that not everyone has those resources, but B, important to keep in mind that the people who do have those resources often have taken those resources from other people. So it's it's not that we, we just need to give more travelers and give more USS Enterprises to people. It's that we need to share the travelers and the enterprises that we yeah. have.
1: And when we don't recognize that privilege, we become Kaczynski.
0: Right, exactly. Oh yeah, that's so true. Because Kaczynski's like, I... Figured it out. This is my hard – oh, I hate him even more now. That's brilliant.
1: <laughs> yeah, right? Because that's and – and that's how people see you because you become this smug kind of arrogant jerk. But inside, you, you see those moments where it breaks. Like, you know, when, when he looks at the Traveler at that one scene and he's like, hey, what are you doing? And you see that look of panic on his face. He realizes, like, the facade is going to drop and people are going to say that I, like, I don't really know what I'm doing, that I've had all this backup. That's not to say that everyone who's accomplished things aren't, like, underneath or actually a fraud. But when when they're incapable or incapable of recognizing the support that they've had to accomplish great things and go far, then you kind of end up becoming a jerk.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, like, he, he says all of this stuff. He doesn't think he needs to explain himself to the people whose ship he's going to be playing with.
1: Yeah, he doesn't want to play by the hierarchical yeah, structure. He doesn't, he doesn't think he permission. needs to
0: explain himself to them. He And he really believes, Troy can read his thoughts. His feelings and he really believes that he's right and that he has done all of this and it just doesn't occur to him that maybe the reason he's been able to do this is that someone has been helping him a lot and that's not a thing like if if he had shown up on the Enterprise or on any of the other ships that he's done this on and said this person and I have been working together to figure this thing out that wouldn't have taken away from how cool it is and how amazing it is that like to learn that this sort of thing is possible yeah, but in but because he insisted on on taking all the credit and I would say was enabled by the traveler because the traveler like the the metaphor maybe falls apart a little bit because it's not like he stole this thing from the traveler right like mm-hmm. like the the traveler definitely wanted him to see this it was beneficial to the traveler for him to see this as his own work, which I guess also like it's beneficial for systems of privilege and oppression for the people who benefit not to notice them. That's what right, keeps yeah. the, the systems going. But because he thought it was all him, he wasn't able to realize that he actually had no idea what he was talking about.
1: Yeah, he wasn't able to grow. He wasn't willing to sit in that discomfort Yeah, um, yeah. and be able to grow. So yeah, yeah. And Then you just become entitled and kind yeah. of a jerk.
0: I would also say, though, on the flip side of that, like I think that's really important and I want to hold that while I say the other thing. I'm not saying this to discount it by any means. I just want to have, I think these two things can be true at the same time. So it's very true that we cannot just, that not everyone has access to just make their dreams become a reality. And we need to imagine different worlds So that we can create those different worlds, right? We need to imagine a world without police to create a world without police. We need to imagine a world without oppression to create a world without oppression. We need to, so we need, we do need our imagination, but I guess tying back to earlier, our discussion about magic, it's not through the sort of colloquial use of magic that it just happens that we can make our dreams a reality we need it it takes a lot of work to make our dreams a reality and sometimes we're not able to do it but we still need to have those dreams
1: yeah absolutely and um and uh, there's a tragedy i think in that as well is that like i think there's a lot of people they they've put their dreams toward forging A better society and our whole society is better off because of those dreams but yeah so there's an article i was reading recently it's by um, ayana elizabeth johnson and it's about fighting systemic racism when her actual academic background and work is in ocean science and fighting climate change Right. And so she said, here's there's a here's a segment from it. This was in June third in the Washington Post. She said, Here's an incomplete list of things I have unfinished last week because America's boiling racism and militarization are deadly for black people. Policy memo to members of Congress on accelerating offshore wind energy development in the US waters. The introduction to my book on climate solutions, a presentation for powerful corporation on how technology can advance ocean climate solutions, a grant proposal to fund a network of w- women climate leaders, a fact check of a big budget film script about ocean climate themes, planting vegetables uh, with my mother in our climate victory garden. So while we're still fighting for a better society, some people's, like their actual dreams are put on hold because we have to do this fighting. Right. Um, You know, they have to do this fighting. And so um, in a way, it's like, are we dreaming? Like we have to dream these dreams to make a better society. But what dreams would we be dreaming if the society was already It's set in a way to make sure that we had those opportunities to begin with. Yeah. You know, and so... Yeah. Yeah.
0: And that's something that's... So this is... That's talking about uh, racial justice. And and it's true, I think, along any axis of oppression, one of the main purposes, whether intentional in its creation or not, one of the main purposes of those kinds of oppression comes from keeping people distracted and keeping people busy so that they're not able to have those big dreams or they're not able to create those big dreams because they're too busy just fighting to survive
1: keeping people fighting rather than trying to make those changes yeah yeah so that was ayana elizabeth johnson that's in the washington post on june 3rd and it's called i'm a black climate expert racism derails our efforts to save the planet mm-hmm. yeah right nice. yeah
0: all right so any other thoughts on on where no one has gone before
1: Did our thoughts become a reality for this episode? (laughs) I think so. I think so. I think think we covered a lot of stuff. We did. That was good. What's what's next week's episode?
0: So next week's episode is Lonely Among Us.
1: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of With the First Link. If you liked what you heard, please consider leaving us a stellar five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast provider of choice.
0: Our cover art was created by Nathan Nunn, and you can find more of his work at NathanNunn.ca. Our theme song is An Amazing Adventure by Flame Lion Studio. You can follow us on Instagram at firstlinkpod or send us an email at firstlinkpod at gmail.com to let us know what you thought about this episode of Star Trek. I'm Ruthie.
1: And I'm Matthew. And remember, let imagination be your warp drive.